Welcome to the Talking Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Will Cheshire. And in this podcast, I speak with impact-driven founders and share their real-time stories about how their solution has a positive impact on society. This is a show for founders, investors, and all individuals looking for some positivity and optimism as you hear from people working hard to help better our society and our planet. You can expect to learn about some awesome new products and services in this show that will bring you more hope in our quest to solve some of society's biggest issues. Let's dive in to this week's episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast. The continent of Africa is our focus for this episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast as I sit down with the managing director of One Acre Fund, Matt Forty, to talk about the importance of agriculture and farming in Africa and how One Acre Fund is working to empower these local farmers, often women, to grow more food, earn more money, and help lift their communities out of poverty. This was an episode that I truly enjoyed recording because it's a topic that I don't think gets enough attention. Agriculture and farming is incredibly important and impacts our society in so many different ways. Also, it's essential that we raise awareness and support people like Matt and the One Acre Fund to empower these farmers in their fight against climate change, which is only making their jobs and lives more difficult. Let's get to the start of the episode and learn all about the impactful solution of One Acre Fund. We're rolling into another edition of the Talking Solutions podcast. And in this episode, our focus is going to be on the continent of Africa. I'm sitting down with the managing director of One Acre Fund, Mr. Matt Forti. And Matt, how are you today? And thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, doing great. Really excited to be here. And, and Matt, just tell us quickly, if you could, what is the One Acre Fund and what is it that you do that provides such great solutions in the work that you've done over in the continent of Africa? Yeah, so One Acre Fund is a nonprofit social enterprise, and we exist to, to basically address the fact that there's somewhere around 50 million small-scale farmers in Africa who still can't feed their families consistently all year round. Um, we try to provide the, the resources, the tools, the techniques to really help those farmers to grow more food, be able to store their food, uh, consume it, and then sell it into the markets to get some surplus. So that, that's our job. Love it. Fantastic. And, and as part of that, Matt, just tell us a little bit about your background. You know, like what made you as part of the One Acre Fund and the managing director? I know you've been there for a while now. You know, what was it about Africa? You know, what? how did you kind of spark this interest and, and see this as a problem and, and you and, and, and being amongst your team members as well, uh, the ones that could provide a solution to this problem and really enhance these farmers? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd be lying if I didn't say it was it was serendipity, uh, maybe ninety percent, uh, and then you know ten percent everything else. You know, I I was in business school uh, about sixteen years ago, um, became very good friends with uh, an individual who then became One Acre Funds CEO and founder, and you know his his side trip to Africa in the summer between our two years of school is really what inspired One Acre Fund. And you know he had the opportunity to visit uh, rural Kenya during what's known as the hungry season. And this is kind of the time when farmers have almost made their way through the previous staple crop harvest, you know, maize, beans, et cetera. They're, they're consuming the little that's left and they're just eking out trying to get to that next one. And it's a, it's a very sad time. It's a time when uh, children are visibly malnourished, they're out of school. Um, some of them do, do pass away. And so he got very um, just kind of engrossed with this, this, this question of, you know, how is it that farmers that have enough land uh, to, to certainly feed their families if they were yielding what 
um, not even just the U.S. and Europe, you know, Latin America, Asia, uh, any other region of the world is able to get, you know, why is it that those families are still stuck um, in these perpetual cycles of, of hunger and poverty? Uh, so I, I was one of the first to kind of get involved when he came back to school, very inspired um, by his vision, his idea of, you know, let's let's figure out what's made agriculture successful everywhere else around the world the past few decades. Let's figure out how to bring that to rural communities in Africa and really give these families the tools to lift themselves out of hunger and poverty. Yeah. And on that note, Matt, you talk a lot about how farming and agriculture in general can help these families and these communities lift themselves up. But I, I think for some people, they may not understand the impact and the ripple effects that having good farming practices has and, and what that might mean to affect other things like education and things of that nature as well. Uh, so just kind of explain to the audience a little bit, if you will, why farming is such a crucial aspect and the efficiency and to have good yields and things of that nature, and then kind of how that affects uh, communities and things of that nature as well. Yeah, absolutely. So farming is just, you know, it's the dominant activity of not only Africa's poor, but the world's poor. And, and so you've got somewhere around 70% uh, of Africa's poor are, are earning their living as farmers. They may have small amounts of income coming from day laboring or micro businesses, but this is really the primary economic driver for their family. And obviously it's also their food supply, um, right? And, and so what you're talking about is how can we help families to grow more food so that their children don't experience uh, these, these spells of hunger? But, you know, it's also about nutrition, right? How do we help families grow a diverse set of foods that are covering all the major food groups so that children are, are not only hungry, uh, avoiding hunger, but, but also avoiding uh, malnourishment? And then, you know, when you think about farming, it also is, is sort of the major driver of, of the world's land use, right? So you're also talking about, you know, can we enrich the soils instead of continuing to deplete them? Can we mop up carbon in the soils and in trees and in other crops so we're not contributing to the climate crisis? And then finally, uh, you mentioned education. You know, the, the primary driver of, of what farmers are doing with their extra income after they solve their food problem is actually investing in education. Uh, primary school throughout much of Africa at this point is free, uh, but you still have to pay for, for uniforms and books. And then secondary school is not. And, you know, a, a, a semester of secondary school um, is generally going to be about a third of the family's entire income, just to give you a sense for one child. So, you know, when you're able to, to increase families' yields and incomes dramatically, now they're finally able to put their kids through secondary school, maybe even beyond. So over multiple generations, you can start to really get the family going to a new level. That's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. I, that's that's quite a lot of the income that's involved just to get your kid to school at that level. That's quite a lot. I wouldn't have expected that. But, you know, I think a, a, something that kind of pairs with that, too, that you mentioned is that proper nutrition and getting those needs of food met. And, you know, and I think about that, too, I mean, I think about higher performance in school and education as well. I think about more productivity. Uh, you know, I think people kind of forget that as well when it comes to getting proper nutrition, just how much that impacts our, uh, you know, our psychological state, our mental state and our physical state as well. So I think that that's really an, an important aspect, um, if you will, on that front. And, and Matt, too, you mentioned this one a little bit as well. And this was kind of the resources and then what climate change, you know, in order to mitigate those effects and things of that nature as well. So what are some of the challenges of, of maybe, you know, getting some of those resources or, or providing the education that's needed to these farmers and, and, and kind of pair that in addition to with also trying to keep things, you know, 
practical and maybe more regenerative and things of that nature as well with climate change. But at the same time, you're also just focused on getting people these food needs met. So how do you kind of balance those two or, or maybe combine and incorporate them? Yeah. So, you know, the first thing we have to figure out is is how do we mobilize resources, uh, financial resources? And the great thing about working with small scale farmers, particularly when you work with them in groups, is that you're able to kind of eliminate the the, the risk of, let's say, you know, 10 farmers are in a group that, that you and I are a part of and and I have a health emergency or a funeral or some other big expense. The rest of the group is actually able to come in and, and support that farmer through the season, help that farmer to make their repayment. That way, the whole group can kind of re-enroll and farm again with us. So w- when, you have a, when you have a sort of situation like that, all you have to do is really mobilize the resources, financial resources. That's what we do. That's our job as One Acre Fund. We're able to lend those resources out in the form of productive inputs, seed, fertilizer, storage bags, whatever it takes to help the, the, the family to grow more food and then, and then safely store and sell it. And then because of this mechanism of working in, in, in groups, you actually have very, very good repayment rates in the, in the, in the area of 97 98% um, because you're working on uh, income. Farmers are creating so much more food, they're able to, to repay their loan and still much, be much better off for their families. So that's really the main thing that we do. And then, and then of course, we pair that with, with training. And as you said, that is so critical. And, and unfortunately, in most of Africa, training is done by uh, PhDs, pe- people who have these advanced degrees, but aren't really from the communities uh, that, that farmers are in, don't really understand the conditions they face. So we, we actually hire from within our farmer base um, and, and we train those what we call field officers to go out and deliver very simple trainings. Um, and, you know, I actually have some, some props with me, some examples to show you. We've got, this is, a, this is a fertilizer scoop. It just gives you a sense of, you know, farmers never know exactly how much fertilizer to use, so they overuse it. And that has terrible consequences on the environment. This simple, you know, five cent piece of technology can help a farmer exactly dose the right amount of, of food. This is a planning string. It's, it's, it's hard to see, but there's little red marks at the, at the appropriate distances. This tells a family exactly how to space their seeds. You know, put a seed on every red mark on the string as you string it across your field. So we're talking about really simple trainings delivered by people from the community that are farmers that understand the needs of farmers um, that's really all it takes, the the, the financial resources uh, and the training. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, just kind of like a quick, simple tool can really make all the difference in the world when it comes to that. And it makes a lot of sense on that front as well. So I think that's a fantastic solution to kind of incorporate there. But, you know, before we really, really get into what you all do and, and the solutions you provide to empower these farmers, communities, families, uh, which I think is fantastic. I'd be curious to know what you think or, or maybe what uh, One Acre Fund believes is, you know, what is it about Africa? Why has Africa always been kind of a challenge to kind of improve these farming practices from an earlier stage and, and why it's maybe, you know, lack of a, a better word, maybe lagging behind, like you had mentioned, other parts of the world as well? What do you think has contributed to that uh, over the, the previous decades? Yeah, look, I mean, Africa has had has had a lot of challenges. Obviously, if we if we go back, you know, more than fifty years, the colonial period, and much of these countries really robbed these countries of the resources and the good governance that they needed. Um, and and then in more recent decades, you know, Africa has um, think about its kind of north south, um, you know, uh, kind of outlay. You don't have uh, a, a lot of crops that can grow in similar parts, um, even within a given country. So. You know, you're you're talking about needing to work at at very different microclimates, 
um, agroecological differences that can persist even within the same communities. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's not as simple as in other countries where you can go in and really have one solution that applies to the vast majority of farmers in that area. Um, so that's certainly been a challenge. Um, and then, you know, certainly not, not investing as much in agriculture as we should have, um, but both host country governments as well as, as you know, governments that do foreign aid in the, in the developed world, um, for, for a variety of reasons, just haven't seen agriculture as a productive place to invest. And they've tried to kind of jump, I think, too quickly to manufacturing services, things that advanced economies are um, you know, sort of uh, place their workers in. But if you look at, you know, really all the success stories of the past few decades, um, Singapore, Taiwan, um, you know, these, these are countries that really started with an agricultural revolution first, and then they were able to kind of move their workers to the cities and take on these, these different kinds of, of jobs. But, you know, you've got, you've got to start with agriculture. That's what the majority of people are doing. Um, we haven't done that in Africa. Yeah, really, I guess when you just look at the history of humankind as well, it started with agriculture, right? I mean, even when even when you think about the agricultural revolution, you know, thousands of years ago, a long time where it was like the first time humans like started to stay put instead of constantly move, right? Because they were able to grow their food and they wouldn't have to keep foraging for food on that front as well. So it really does all start with agriculture. So I think it's great that you all, like you had mentioned at the very beginning and, and found this, identified this problem and are now providing that solution over to Africa and to kind of bring that agricultural revolution and, and to enhance their lives over there as well. And on that note, Matt, I would love to get into the weeds and start talking in a little bit more detail about the solution uh, that you all provided. You talked about the education. You talked about providing the tools, things of that nature as well. You know, what does that technology and, and the tools look like that you're able to provide with the resources? And, and how does your education kind of start? Is it in the form of classroom? Is it in the form of personalized training? And, and kind of give us a little bit of background on that front. This week's book recommendation is aligning with the theme of this podcast, and we are talking about Food Fix, how to save our health, our economy, our communities, and our planet one bite at a time by Dr. Mark Hyman. This is a fantastic read that really helps you understand how important food is to healing the environment, reforming politics, reviving our economies, and helping reverse the global epidemic of chronic diseases that we have. What we eat has tremendous implications that are not just for our waistlines, but also for the planet, society, and for the global economy. And what we do to our bodies is what we do to the planet, and what we do to the planet is what we do for to our bodies. So this is a, a really, really good read, and it'll really help you understand just how connected food is to everything that we do in society, which makes this episode even more important to understand agriculture and why farming plays such an important role, especially in areas like Africa that are developing and the ones that are being affected by climate change the most, even though they probably have the least to do with it as well. So I highly recommend Food Fix to help you better understand and conceptualize what food means to our world as a whole. It's a fantastic read. Once again, Food Fix by Dr. Mark Hyman. Now let's jump back in to this episode of the Talking Solutions podcast. Yeah, I mean, just to take you through the, the, the model, you know, we start, as I said, with kind of forming groups of farmers, um, you know, somewhere around 10 to 15, usually. These are community members that know each other quite well. 
um, want to experience the program together, you know, they're, they're placing orders, uh, if you will, individually for their lands. You know, uh, farmer A may decide, I'd like to grow maize on half an acre uh, and, and take, you know, uh, uh, an eighth of an acre of, of, you know, collard greens, for instance. Another farmer may have a, a different composition. So um, every farmer chooses individually what they want, but, but they, they agree to uh, farm together as a group, be trained as a group, and repay as a group. Um, then obviously the, the most exciting day is kind of the input delivery day. That's when, you know, the seeds, the fertilizer, soil, uh, enhancements, other products are coming out for the farmers to come and pick up. You know, usually we're delivering these to, uh, schoolyards, churches, kind of main gathering places, but all within walking distance of the farm family. Um, then throughout the year, it really is about training. That's the main thing we're doing. Um, it, it is in the field. Um, it's not in the classroom. And, you know, these trainings are, they're, they're fun. They are, there's a lot of role playing involved in them. Um, they're very experiential. That, that really matters. You know, if you think about how all of us learn best, it's, it's you know, when there's a little bit of humor injected, um, when you're actually out doing the, you know, we're, we're going to be, you know, worth with the farmer uh, kind of showing that string, doing a little bit of planting with the farmer in the field, not not in the classroom. So that that makes a really big difference. And then you know around the time uh, harvest comes, you know we've gotten through all the trainings, all the parts of the you know think about a, the life cycle of a planting season. Uh, we will have gotten through the the planting, the weeding, um, you know the the composting. Now now we're at you know harvest time. Um, the harvest comes a very exciting time of year. By that point, families will have finished repaying their loan generally because they've been repaying bit by bit from other income sources. And then they've got this, this bumper crop that they're able, again, to store safely uh, in their home. Some of it will be consumed. Some of it will be sold at local market. So that's, that's kind of the model in a nutshell. It, uh, you know, the numbers are increases in yields, usually between 40 and 50%. Uh, and, and an increase in bottom line profits for the family as well around that level, even after they've repaid um, their their loan to us. So it's a it's a significant increase in their well being. It's like getting a forty percent raise for, uh, for 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 you or me, and it's a big deal for the families. Yeah, I would argue that it's a much bigger deal than us getting a forty percent raise. You know what I'm saying? I think for them that forty percent is monumental and fantastic, which is obviously why I think uh, what you all are doing at One Acre Fund and the solution you're providing is so fantastic, especially in Africa, where unfortunately, as you mentioned before, it just has been a little bit behind due to various reasons and factors. Uh, I would love to hear about the experiences of what you you know encounter, you know, with what your team encounters with these farmers. You know, what is their feedback? You know, what are they kind of thinking? You know, what is their thought process? Is it one of those things where maybe they're hesitant to buy in, but then they see the results and they get all excited and like, all right, here we go. Or, or, or what is that kind of like in terms of the feedback that you get from them and, and their interaction with it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a few things I would say. One is we, we made the decision very early on to base uh, our leadership in the rural areas. And so we are we are there with the farmers. We're living in the same communities they are. We're, we're constantly listening to their feedback. And frankly, you know, repayment uh, is, is a phenomenal uh, form of feedback in and of itself, right? Because you know, if, 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 if you've got, let's say, 10 districts you're working in, nine of the districts are going really well, that 10th district, you see that the farmers have repaid only 20% of their credit, whereas in the other nine districts, it's 40%, you know, halfway through the year. You kind of know something's not right. It's probably our fault, not the farmers. You know, we're, we're, we must, must have delivered the inputs later. We must have not been providing effective training or something of that nature. So, that, that feedback is absolutely critical for us. And, you know, we, we like to kind of fail fast, you know, so 
we like to we like to trial a lot of things, see what works. Um, you, you get very kind of fast cycles of learning and improvement that way. Um, and and you know that that's you know, we 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 think of farmers as kind of co-designing our program um, because we will you know we'll trial uh, a new crop or a new technique uh, or something of that nature at, at very small scale. We'll see if it works at that level. If it doesn't, we're back to the drawing board. If it does, we'll promote it to another you know kind of round of trials at, at bigger scale and so forth until it's it's scaled out across the whole network. Um, so we've very, very good relationships with our farmers for, you know, for that reason. I love it. The whole co-design with the farmers thing to me is, is what really stands out, right? You're really letting the person that you're working for have an opportunity to kind of say, hey, these are the best methods that work for me when it comes to the training model. Like, you know, it, hey, I'm in a classroom. No, it'd be a lot better if we did this interactively out in the field instead. I think that goes a really long way and kind of a lot of success on that front, too. And you mentioned, what was it, 96, 97 percent in the payment back rate? Yeah, yeah. Usually, you know, 97, 98% is our average. It's been a little lower during COVID. You know, we've had a number of, of, as you can imagine, challenges getting inputs from the ports out to the fields and then not able to do that in-field group training, which is so critical to our work when, when you're in a, a social distancing uh, kind of space. But, you know, we've still gotten 93, 94% even during COVID. And I'm, I'm, I'm confident we'll get it back up um, as we get out of this. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it does give you a sense of farmers really value the program. And look, if they don't repay, we're not going to, we don't have any collateral. So we're not going to, to, to take away their goats or possess their home or something of that nature. The only punishment, if you will, is they can't enroll the next season until they finish repaying. So that repayment rate is also just a really good signal of. Right. It's a great signal, a great way to establish trust as well. Things of that nature, which I think is fantastic. You know, on that note, too, just a little bit to kind of go into further detail on that front and talk about it. How is it that you you talk about the 96 or 97, 98, 93, 94, but what other things do you do to kind of measure your impact to see what's working? You know, I do see that there are reports that get created and things of that nature as well. Uh, how, how much does that help you with those reports to measure impact and to ensure that, hey, this is working in addition to obviously getting the farmer's feedback as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we always say impact is our North Star in, in the sense that we are a nonprofit. You know, even though we have an earned income stream. We have our clients are paying for the services. We also raise donations. We have this hybrid model, but you know, as a nonprofit, our mission is purely impact. That that's the only reason we exist. And so, you know, we care a lot about it. And and you know, during the season, we're measuring all sorts of things for very rapid feedback. You know, what was the attendance at that training? What was the compliance with the training? In other words, when we follow up two weeks later, what percentage of the farmers that came to the training are actually doing the technique we taught in the right way. Uh, we have repayment, as we talked about. The big one, though, at the end of the season, again, is we're going to be measuring how much harvest came out of the ground for the one-acre farmer versus a comparable farmer that chose not to join the program. And we have, without getting too technical, very good statistical techniques to make sure that those two sets of farmers are as identical as possible so that we're truly measuring you know, how much was the benefit, the incremental benefit, of the choice of that farmer to be in the one acre fund program versus the farmer that chose to go on their own. So that's, that's the main thing. But then, you know, further downstream, we've talked about, you know, nutrition, that's something we measure. Hunger is something we measure. Soil health matters a lot, climate resilience. So we have, we have these, this sort of compendium of, of holistic measures, if you will, because at the end of the day, we're not only trying to solve hunger, we're trying to move these families out of poverty, 
make sure their children are educated and so forth. So, so we measure um, holistically and always against this comparison group of farmers that aren't in the program. Absolutely. And within that comparison as well, I would imagine that farmer that maybe is not part of the program that sees the maybe the farmer from the one acre fund have maybe more success that might entice them to want to get involved in into the program next year, huh? That's absolutely right. It's uh, one of the joys of this work is it's a very visual impact. So, you know, if, if my maze is growing twice as high as your maze, you're you're probably going to be interested in why that is. So that's absolutely right. You see a lot of a lot of neighbors come into the program, you know, after the early adopters, if you will, you know, kind of take advantage of it and and they see the results. And with that too, like, what are the certain requirements, maybe, um, just to be specific for the farmer in order to enroll in your program? Yeah. Yeah, very, very few, actually. You know, the, the main thing is just the verification that the farmer um, has the amount of land they say they do for the inputs they are ordering. So, you know, if, if you as a farmer say you want a, an acre and a half of, of potato seed, you know, we're, we have to make sure that actually you have that acreage. And, you know, land, land titling is not uh, common in all of our markets. So we just make sure that there's security uh, on the land. The farmer is able to claim that land as, as their own. Um, and then you have to join in groups and that's pretty much it. You know, there are no other requirements where as again, as a nonprofit, we're trying to reach, you know, into the poorest areas. So we're not looking at credit scores or anything of that nature. And, and they don't typically exist anyway. Um, you know, it's, we feel it's our job to reach into those poorest segments and actually help these families for many of them. It's the first time they're ever accessing credit. So that's we see that as part of our mission. Awesome. And then yeah, what I, my favorite part about that is you say it's, oh, it's the first time or, oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, and if this was a bank or a for-profit model, that might be a little bit of hesitant in terms of offering repayment plans. But then you get the success that you're having with those rates. And uh, I love I love how encouraging that is. 97, 98, 93, 94, COVID. Uh, you got to love that. No, thank you. I mean, that again, I can't say it enough that I think one of the big reasons that, that this market failure has existed for so long is you have either – Private companies coming in, you know, with only a profit motive, they're going to end up creaming off the best farmers. They're going to be looking for farmers with, you know, 10, 15, 20 acres of land, commercial farmers, et cetera. That's great. Those farmers still need services. They can work with private companies, but they're not going to reach into the areas we do. And then, you know, a lot of, of charity models, fully 100% donation models have come in and tried to help farmers in Africa over the years. And again, they, they you know, probably do really good work, but you can't scale if, if you don't have another revenue source. So I think this kind of hybrid model, some of it is donations. A lot of it, though, is repayments from the farmers being treated as customers. That, that model of social enterprise really is perfect for this kind of a problem and, and you know, frankly, many others in Africa as well. Yeah, it's a reinvestment, basically. You know, you're just taking this person's success using that reinvestment and the funds they're doing to help somebody else and get their success. And, and it's a circular cycle that I think works fantastically on that front as well. I, I want to talk a little bit about these numbers because you mentioned uh, the families that you impact, the farmers that you impact. We touched on it briefly before, but tell us a little bit about how many farmers you're actually helping uh, in terms of your working with throughout the history of, of One Acre Fund and that front as well. And then in addition to that, not only just kind of the, the farmers and, and whatnot that you're helping, but also, you know, what that kind of means in terms of tangible impact and, and growth for the, the, the sector. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we started with just 40 families in, uh, in Western Kenya back in 2006. And uh, this year we will reach about 1.5 million farm families across nine countries. So it has been really, really rapid growth. Again, I think we, we designed our model from the beginning for scale in terms of 
you know, it, it was important for us to kind of codify all of our protocols for, okay, when you enter a particular village, how do you hire staff? How do you kind of market the program to, you know, village elders and religious leaders and other chiefs um, to make sure they understand who we are, how we operate? Um, you know, obviously the training, uh, the repayment collection, all of it is routinized so that it's very easy for us to pick it up, move it to a new village, et cetera. Um, so this year we'll work with, yeah, about a million and a half uh, families directly. We also will work with about a million and a half through partnerships. That's been a, a more recent channel for us. Um, we found a lot of interest among seed companies and, uh, you know, local governments who are running some, you know, sort of, of farm service or product uh, for us to come in and take what we've learned and, and to help them do their work better. So all told, it'll be over 3 million uh, families that we'll work with this year alone. And yeah, on the on the impact side, again, the main impact is boosting the these families' bottom line profits 40 to 50%. But in terms of, you know, in human terms of what that means, it's going to be an elimination of, of the most severe forms of hunger. Um, and then it's going to be the family choosing what to do with that. Some families are going to invest in education. As I mentioned, that's the, that's the, the most common one. Other families may choose to invest in healthcare, housing, a whole, a whole litany of things that they may choose to do. Last thing I'll say is for families that re-enroll in the program year after year, you see even better results. So, you know, by, by year five, year six in the program, we have a study in Kenya that shows that those families have actually improved their entire household income by 50%. Um, and not just kind of the crops that they grow with us. And, and that really speaks to the, the, the kind of the, the flywheel, right? That, that you make a little bit more income, you invest it productively, um, that generates even more income. You, you, know, you enroll more land with one acre fund, you rent more land and, and you know, maybe grow new crops that are more profitable, so on and so forth. And we have a lot of families that have really gotten onto that much deeper level of impact. Amazing. And within that as well, you mentioned, uh, you know, just kind of it's empowering the families to kind of do what they want, right? With with that extra money that they're going to have and things of that nature as well. And then you mentioned that the people that stay on the program, what the 50% overall household income increase on that front as well. What is kind of the average life cycle, if you will? I don't want to say like customer life cycle. That sounds too businessy for profit, but you know what I mean? But, um, you know, how long do these farmers typically stay into the program before they're like, okay, hey, we're, we have it down. Like we're, we're going to be able to keep going. Or is it something that does kind of last year and year in? You know, what we typically find is that the, the year over year retention rates are usually somewhere in the area of 70 to 80%. And some of the farmers that aren't re-enrolling, you know, some didn't repay and, and aren't able to re-enroll. Um, but for the most part, it's either, you know, again, there was some really, really significant uh, issue in their lives that, that, that caused them to, to not come back into the program. It may have been even beyond what their group was comfortable covering them for. Or it could be, you know, the families on the other end who are choosing, let me, you know, let, let me try it myself now. You know, I think, I, I think I've gotten things down pat. I guess what, what our experience has been is that, you know, these communities are, you know, there, there are so many challenges that they face that the uh, kind of set of services around them outside of One Acre Fund um, ha has not been sufficient for families to really be able to go it on their own for long periods of time. You know, uh, just to give you one example, over the past five years, we've had three very, very bad uh, crop diseases on the on the main staple crop of maize. 
And, you know, if, if you were a family who chose not to re-enroll with One Acre Fund, you know, you are now missing new trainings and new products that One Acre Fund kind of rolled out in real time to deal with, with the latest pest, you know, uh, or, you know, One Acre Fund provides crop insurance with all of our loans. Let's say you, you chose to re-enroll in a very bad year for rainfall. Well, you didn't have access to that insurance that One Acre Fund provides you might have really suffered. So, you know, look, our long-term goal, we'd love to work ourselves out of business. Uh, and, and in fact, our original business plan was work in the community five years, get that community to, to self-sufficiently and uh, sufficiency and move on. I think the reality is these are really, these are decades long challenges. And, you know, we're, we're proud in our partnerships unit to try to make everything else around One Acre Fund better so that farmers don't have to work with us. Uh, but we see that these challenges are are often insurmountable for some of these families. Absolutely, especially when you add in the growing. You know, y'all started a couple decades ago about, and um, you know, even within that, I feel like things have changed, especially with the knowledge, for example, climate change and the most infrequent droughts and things of that nature with rain and how that affects stuff as well. So I definitely, you know, I want to move forward and, and kind of ask in that sense, what have you kind of seen from there? How has One Acre Fund been able to kind of pivot with those solutions? Because this is where. This is where the the roots of climate change really is, right? It's not here in in the U.S. where oh, it, you know, it gets hot. Like yes, that's a sign, but where it's really damaging and hurting people is, for example, uh, in the farms or people who live right on the coast and things of that nature as well. So, can you just kind of uh, go over and enlighten the listeners a little bit on on what that looks like in terms of the new challenges and then the solutions you've been providing to that? Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that because look the. You know, small-scale farmers in Africa, they are the least responsible for the climate mess that we are in, and yet they have the most to lose. They are the world's most vulnerable because their lives depend on the weather uh, and, 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 and all related aspects. So, you know, look, this is, this is a, an existential issue for farmers. If you, if you look at, obviously, the models are all over the place, but somewhere between 20 and 40 percent predicted yield losses on rain-fed crops you know, the main crops, this is, you know, this is maize, rice, uh, wheat, potatoes, etc. Um, and so, you know, it's a, but it is a slow moving uh, kind of train wreck, if you will. And so we, we, we are seeing the, the starts of it, and we now have time to adjust. And so, you know, we are doing uh, everything from, you know, first of all, better insurance products, right, helping to, to attract more capital to help farmers deal with uh, erratic weather uh, and diseases and things like that. Second of all, you know, crop diversification. How do we how do we ensure that families aren't only planting crops that are dependent on on, on the rains as much as uh, as maize and some of these dominant crops are? Um, third thing is seed research. Right, if we can come up with seeds that are drought tolerant. Uh, quicker yielding for heat stress, basically, that's going to help these families quite a bit. Um, and then the last thing is, how can we get more economic activity on, on things that don't depend uh, as much on, on the weather? Um, tree planting has become a really big thing that One Acre Fund does. Um, trees, you know, you, you do want to plant them and, and water them in, uh, in year one, but um, they do not depend nearly as much on the weather as, as other forms of crops do. Also really good for uh, returning nutrients into the soils and then uh, mopping up carbon, as we discussed earlier. Um, poultry is another thing we're working on uh, with families. How do we help families to access uh, eggs and uh, chicks and rear them um, uh, until they're, they're able to produce on their own? That's not as dependent on the weather. So really trying to diversify not only within crops, but but outside of crops. So there's more economic activity going for these families. Very interesting. Yeah, diversification, you know, like a lot of things in life really is 
uh, key and, and crucial in, in this aspect as well. I, I'm curious as when for one acre fund, I'm sh- I mean, obviously the climate's always been a challenge for y'all, right? Because you're measuring, hey, is it going to be, you know, but when did you guys really kind of go, oh, okay, we're going to have to kind of turn on the jets a little bit here and, and really kind of think about this diversification and find these solutions? Yeah, you know, I would say it really was about five, six years ago when we started seeing just more erratic weather events. And, you know, I, I think for the first 10 years or so of our work, we had almost, you know, apart from one or two out of 10 seasons, you know, really adequate rainfall at the right times. And then we just hit a spell of, gosh, you know, at, uh, at least two markets uh, every year having really, really poor outcomes for farmers. And, you know, obviously this also coincided with a greater consciousness of, of all of us for what, you know, we're going through. Um, and so we just realized, look, you know, yes, our, our main our main kind of impact can remain uh, productivity. You know, that's fine. We, you know, we can still say that we're primarily measuring our success by how much more food's coming out of the ground, but we've got to equally work on resilience in this next decade and do things that really you know, satisfy us that at the start of the year, before the year has even started, we can go in saying a one acre fund farmer is much, much more protected for whatever may come that year than, than everyone else. And that's our goal. Oh, that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. You know, Matt, too, I, you've mentioned this a couple of times and I absolutely want to give you a chance to elaborate on it a little bit more. You know, talk about these partnerships that you have. You know, obviously they play an important role. They're helping you impact more than a million more farmers, uh, farming families on that front, too. So tell us a little bit more about these partnerships and, and their role in, in this growth as well. Yeah. You know, again, I think this is uh, this is one of these things where as a as a nonprofit, but also a social enterprise, we have a lot of leeway to figure out, you know, how can we make everyone else around us better? And, you know, if you I give you two examples, you know, there's, there are very, you know, large and extensive um, national government training services across most of our countries where the government has organized training agents to go out and, tra- and train farmers uh, for free. And, you know, they, they, they now look at us and say, you know, One Acre Fund, you, you've been doing training for a long time, seem to be getting really good results. Would you come in and train our trainers? You know, would you give them your curriculum? Would you, would you help them understand your pedagogy, this, you know, more in-field um, kind of fun uh, approach, role-playing approach to doing training? Um, and, and that's one way we can multiply our impact. Those, those trainers are reaching farmers that are choosing not to be in One Acre Fund, and that's fine. Um, and, and we're happy to do that. You know, another example would be on the private sector side. There's there's a big kind of excuse the metaphor chicken or egg problem um, in 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 kind of cash crop agriculture. So you know, when we're talking about let's say avocados or macadamia nuts or a crop like that, where it's not really as much about the family consuming it as it is about selling it for for a lot of money. You have a lot of of companies that maybe let's say are processors of these crops. Let's say they are creating um, avocado oil, or they're, they're actually exporting grade A fresh avocados to Europe. They don't want to invest. They don't want to grow if they can't be confident that there's a large installed farmer base that's going to produce these crops at high quality and get them the supply that they need. And that's something One Acre Fund can really solve because we're working with, you know, most of these countries, hundreds of thousands of farmers uh, we can say, look, we've got this big base of farmers. We can guarantee the production side is going to go well. That's what we know. But you guys have to scale. You have to you have to be able to offtake a lot more avocados. You know, be able to get a price premium for one acre fund farmers, and then we're going to both be better off. So that that's a good example of being able to use that 
that that customer base to help. These are private sector companies, profit motive, and that's fine. And we're helping them to to do better as well. You know, Matt, one thing I want to just say to start too, which I think is really great about what you guys are all doing, you know, kind of this hybrid model too, is is the constant, you know, what you've been saying throughout this whole podcast, the message is our goal is to kind of, you know, hey, maybe self-sustainable. Well, okay, maybe that's not there. So we're going to be, you know, longtime partners. Okay, well, how else can we create more impact? Now you have your partnerships with the for-profit companies, things of that nature as well, which I love. I think that that's such a cool way to approach it from from your own business perspective on that front. And I would be curious too, before we kind of dive into some ways people can get involved and and support and help kind of push this mission forward and the solution to the forefront, what kind of responses do you get or, or do you deal much with uh, the governments of these countries? And what countries do you work with specifically in, in Africa across the continent? In terms of our footprint, um, we are working primarily in East and Southern Africa. Our biggest markets are Kenya, Rwanda, and Burundi all in the Lake Victoria region, um, but we're also working in Tanzania, Uganda, Malawi, and then we have uh, smaller pilot programs in Zambia, Ethiopia, and Nigeria. So those are our nine markets. And, and what's kind of neat is that you've got about 70% of Africa's farmers in those nine markets. And so we feel like we now have kind of the footprint we need to keep growing within markets um, to, to be able to really solve a big chunk of the, of the problem now. And yeah, in, in terms of how we work with governments, you know, it's, it's interesting. In the early years of One Acre Fund, we really did try to stay away from engaging with government. We, we wanted to kind of focus on building our program. Um, we, we wanted to make sure that we were delivering impact. Once we, once we got to a place where we felt like, okay, we, we have enough proof points, we then began to really engage government as a partner and, and be able to work with them uh, in, in the kind of area I mentioned before. If, if there's a nationwide training force that's government organized, um, also on policy projects, right? It, it, we, we found, for instance, in one of our countries that there was a law on the books against uh, farmers intercropping. In other words, um, putting maize and beans together in the same part of the field. It was based on some outdated research. We were able to bring government officials to our nursery uh, stations and show them the kind of results that come from intercropping and get that that law changed. Um, so we're finding just a lot more opportunities to work with governments, um, you know, national level governments on policy, local level, uh, level governments as well in a variety of ways. And, you know, generally have found a lot of receptivity to what we're, we're able to do. Oh, you love to hear it, right? I mean, it's hard. To, I don't know why they'd be against what you'd want to do, but, you know, that's bureaucracy at times as well. So happy to hear that it's pretty good on that front too. Matt, now now I'd love to to dive in into ways that people can really kind of perhaps get involved, contribute, uh, follow along. Any ways that people who might be listening that go, wow, Matt, I love what One Acre Fund's doing. I want to get involved uh, and I want to move forward with it, right? I mean, what I what I personally love about your mission is that it's, a, it's attacking the problem at the root and providing a solution there. I mean, I Trust me, giving giving money to families and, and stuff like that, like some of the programs out there. I mean, that's all great. But what you're doing is is providing tools that's ultimately going to be a long term solution for them to to really kind of push themselves forward. So I want to just give you an opportunity to to talk a little bit about how people can follow along and, and potentially donate and things of that nature. I want to take a quick time out just to give you an update on what I am working on with the podcast and some new content that you can expect moving forward. So some really, really positive news. My website is almost done for the Talking Solutions podcast and Chesh Tech overall. So you're going to have an opportunity to jump on in, review all of the guests, get all of their links and find easy access and discover new guests as well as a place that you can go to and learn all about these founders, investors and people that are making 
impactful solutions in benefiting the world and solving these social issues that we are dealing with as well. So expect that website to be up this month, the month of August, and it'll be a fantastic resource for you uh, to learn more about all these fantastic individuals providing great solutions. Another thing that we are working on is that I have a TikTok now. That is right. I have finally caved into the game. Social media has never really been my most favorite thing in the world to do, but TikTok is a fantastic way to get better reach and share these founder solutions even more so than what I'm already doing. So I think it's a fantastic resource and avenue for people. So if you have a TikTok, please go ahead and follow. You can follow me just at my name. That is William Cheshire. And find me on TikTok for some more great content and more highlighting of solutions. Also got consumer tips and also got a lot of business tips as well, particularly in the product space with product development, product road mapping, uh, product design, sprints, technical documentation, all those types of things as well that relate to your product and websites. And more specifically, sustainable web. How can we make the web more sustainable and what practices can we implement on our websites in order to reduce our global or carbon emissions on that site? So be sure to check that out as well. Let's conclude this episode of the Talking Solutions podcast. Yeah, thank you. No, I mean, uh, you know, this is a, a case where we're really giving families a hand up. I mean, that's it. It's not a handout. These are families who are primarily contributing their own capital in, in terms of taking on these loans and repaying these loans from their own resources. And, you know, when we started One Acre Fund, it used to be that we would require about $240 a year in donated resources to be able to serve a family. We've now brought that down to about $25 a year. So you're talking about a family average size of six people. We're talking about just $25 of donated resources that is going to help that family, that farmer to feed you know, her children. These are primarily women to feed her children um, you know, all year round. Um, that's all it takes. And so, you know, we always encourage people that, that want to get involved, that want to that wanna sort of understand this issue and, and invest in programs that really empower people to, to, to come and join what we call our investment council. These are, these are families uh, in the U.S., Europe, anywhere that, that choose to give uh, $20 or more a month. Um, it's enough to, to basically get an entire group. Uh, on the program with with what it costs us these days you're you're talking about entire group 10 to 15 families you know somewhere between 60 and 80 uh, or so people um, into our program so that we always you know deeply deeply appreciate because it's really the primary way we grow if we can raise more resources then we can enroll more families and then you pay once and then the family is able to sustain themselves in the program all the years thereafter um but that said, you know, there are other, many other ways to get involved. You know, one primary way we always mention is uh, local talent. We're always looking to hire uh, African leaders uh, to, to run our markets. I, I hope some of the listeners may have connections with, with folks in Africa and, you know, really encourage them to, to tell their networks to, to look at our roles on our website. Um, we now hire about 90% of our senior roles uh, locally from the African markets and Obviously, that's great. We, we want to be a program that can sustain for the long term. So really, really do encourage that as well. Um, we do have an annual event in Chicago every year. So for those based in Chicago, it'll be October 6th this year. You can, 
You can get more uh, uh, about that on our on our website. Um, also can sign up for our newsletter on our website as well. Love it. You sign up for the newsletter. Y'all got social media pages that are active? Yes, and thank you. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I have to say the, you know, I, I hope this is a, a useful education of what we're doing, but just take a moment and watch some of the videos on our Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram, or, you know, one of our channels, LinkedIn. You know, it, it's incredible to kind of see what these families have to have to deal with and, and the challenges they face and to just watch kind of the program being delivered in action and the results at the end. It's, it's very moving. We have a lot of good video content, always encourage people to watch and, and also to educate, you know, your children on it, you know, to, for those with families. Um, it's, it's, it's really important for the next generation to understand how the rest of the world lives and, and what are the kinds of programs that are out there that can help these families to, to, you know, create, create change for themselves, basically. Yeah. I, I mean, call it a cliche, if you will, but you know, it, there's nothing better to me than, than education and knowledge. And to be able to promote that via social media to actually give access, you know, I mean, you could say social media is bad, you know, but social media in this case, very good. Creates a lot of awareness yes. on that front, <laughs> creates a lot of awareness of what you're seeing and, and, and what you're doing. And because I think some people get a little out of touch of, especially when you think about, you know, climate change or something like that. Some people maybe don't think about outside of, of their little bubble. Uh, and it's important, important to, to see that. So I encourage everybody on that point. So please go give them a follow. I've checked them out on social media. They have fantastic content on that front. If you're going to be in Chicago, certainly uh, plan to go uh, to that later this year as well. And then, of course, if you know anybody in Africa, I know there's a few of you listening that got contacts in Africa. And so go ahead and make that uh, connection, if you will, on that front. See if there's potential opportunity there, if it's uh, within those nine uh, countries and areas that are there. Matt, anything else that you would like to add uh, as well uh, with this too? Uh, because I also do want to ask you before actually, before we do that, I, I rescind that last question, Matt. All right, I'll give you your opportunity in a minute, but I want to know what some of those goals long-term are for One Acre Fund. You've mentioned a few things kind of throughout the show, uh, but I would like to give you a chance to kind of talk about future plans. Yeah. So, you know, for us, we've set a new, we, 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 when we started One Acre Fund, we had a goal of reaching a million farm families by 2020. We got there a year early. And at that juncture, we set a new goal of 10 million farm families by 2030. So that's really, you know, kind of what we're aiming for. Um, you know, I think a lot of those families will be through partners now. And, and again, that is great in terms of creating a more durable change, more long lasting change. Governments, private sector will always be in Africa, um, et cetera. And, you know, I, I would say just al alongside that, really important that we are also, you know, kind of improving our, our, our impact for every family, all 10 million of those families. So we have a, a goal of, of, of really having at least three climate resilient interventions adopted per family over the next three years, and it should grow beyond that. You know, we want every family to have, you know, insurance, tree planting, poultry. You know, we talked about some of these things during the podcast, you know, we want to prepare families for what's coming. So that is that is kind of our twin objective alongside um, the number of families that we're trying to reach. Love it. Preparation, education, all key. Matt, with that, anything else that you, that you would like to add onto the, the episode before I let you go here? You know, I would just say that, um, and, and again, I hope, I hope folks will see this if they're able to watch some of the video uh, footage that we have that, you know, these families are among the hardest working people on the planet. Uh, they, they get up way before the sun comes out. They are, you know, tending to their farm all day long. Um, as I said, the vast majority of, of farmers in our program are women. Um, and, and so they're, they're taking care of their children while they're, they're you know, dealing with the farm. Um, and, and they don't go to bed till very late. Uh, these are very, very hardworking, also deeply spiritual people. Um, they, they really are good people. And 
um, you know, they've just been lacking again, kind of the the kind of investments that that many of us have benefited from uh, over the years. Some of our families have been able to make in us to be able to to go to school and and you know break out. And I just hope that we'll we'll see a lot more um, capital and opportunity, you know, being steered to Africa. It's uh, hard to hard to believe, but eighty percent of the world's population growth this century is going to be in Africa, and so in many ways, where Africa goes, the world is is going to go. And and I just hope we're all of us are able to bring more attention to the opportunities that exist uh, to really make this the century of Africa. Fantastic. For as little as $25, you can help contribute to this as well. Okay. You can go check them out on their website uh, on that note, oneacrefund.org. Follow them across social media as well called One Acre Fund. If you don't have time to donate now, go ahead, give a follow, create awareness. That's obviously really important as well uh, to kind of spread resources on that front too and and really help empower these women some more that are raising their kids, attending to the farm, uh, getting their kids ready to, to get into education. I mean, it's just so much work that these people are doing and, and they deserve the the help as well on that front. And yeah, let's make this the, uh, the century of Africa, the century of growth over in Africa and development, obviously in the last couple of decades, uh, a little bit more than that too. We've seen a lot of investing and innovation in Africa and we want to continue to do so as well. But Matt, I I just want to say I've very much enjoyed this conversation. I thank you so much for coming on the show and and sharing your expertise with us and, and bringing some awareness and more importantly, bringing a solution to this problem and in the awareness as well. So thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Same here. Really enjoyed it. And, and just thanks to everyone for listening and getting engaged. Fantastic. That is joining us, the Managing Director of One Acre Fund, Mr. Matt Forty, on the Talking Solutions podcast. As I mentioned before, you can go check them out on their website. That is oneacrefund.org. We'll have their links available uh, on our social media platforms as well, in addition to having more information set on the website for uh, you all to check out too and, and to get easy access to them in case you're, you're listening on the go and you're driving or something, you can't write it down. Don't worry, we got your back. Just when you're in the next safe spot or whatever, you can go ahead, add it, and then uh, give a follow and potentially donate if you have the opportunity on that front. But that's going to wrap up this edition of the Talking Solutions podcast. As always, I appreciate you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, go ahead, drop a review, You know, leave us a comment, leave us uh, something on social media as well, provide some feedback, and please subscribe if you like this content. But until next time, I hope everybody enjoys the rest of their week. Thanks for listening to the Talking Solutions podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode and check out all of our guests on our website at cheshtech.com. That's C-H-E-S-H-T-E-C-H.com to learn more as we continue our mission of supporting impact-driven founders. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Talking Solutions Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Talking Solutions. If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate a review and a recommendation to a friend as we focus on highlighting these great founders and individuals providing solutions to societal problems and bringing optimism into the world.